Well, hello. Welcome to Gospel Church Online this week. Uh, some exciting developments happening at the moment, uh, looking like there is a time coming in the not too distant future when we might be able to gather, gather together again as a church, but it's not just yet, so, so we're persisting with this for this week. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm Pastor John. I'm one of the uh, pastors here at Gospel Church, uh, and you are joining us uh, today in the middle of a series in Luke's Gospel that we call The Limitless Gospel. Uh, this series is titled that because this is a series where we see Jesus breaking through the limits of who we would have said he could be and who we would have said he could save. Uh, and, and it is phenomenal. If you, it, I'm finding this gospel to be such a challenging, such a rewarding, such an encouraging and upbuilding uh, word to me. And I hope that's been the experience for you. If you want to go back and see any of those messages, feel free to um, pop on to the, uh, the YouTube videos of the ones that we've done since we started going online like this, uh, or you can listen to the recordings of the earlier sermons from this series over at gospelchurchminlesson.com. Uh, and let me just add to the encouragement of, of what's already been said. If you need someone to pray for you, if you're, you'd like to talk to someone about Jesus or you need someone to talk to, uh, we're here, we're available. Um, you can get to us by filling out the contact form on the website, gospelchurchminlesson.com uh, and, and we will get in touch with you. Give us some contact details there. Uh, but having said that, now we're going to, uh, I invite you to pray with me and then we're going to get into the word for today. Jesus, thank you that you are good and that you lead your people in being transformed. You lead us to be changed. You don't leave us the same, Lord, but you lead us to be more like you. Uh, you lead us to be better, Lord, and you do it from the inside out. So, Lord, we pray that that's what you'd be doing today that this would be a transformative time for us and that would be pe people who walk in the uh, transformation that comes with the new life that is in you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, I'd like to start today by asking you to imagine, if you will, uh, that you're hanging out with a friend. Uh, if it makes this hypothetical easier, you can pretend that I'm that friend, uh, up to you. But uh, either way, I'm going to say I, it can be the friend, whatever. I say to you, hey, uh, you know, have I shown you my new car? And you think to yourself, a new car? It's a big investment. I didn't know he was planning to buy a new car. You don't say that. You say, oh, what did you get? And I reply quite calmly, oh, nothing much, you know, a, a Bugatti Veyron. A what? You say, a Bugatti Veyron? That's like a three million dollar car. I think that's US dollars actually. I don't know because I only know what it's worth from some Top Gear review that I saw like five years ago or whenever it was. What? How? What? It's a, it's a, it's a, a limited edition luxury sports car. How did you get a Bugatti Veyron? And quite calmly I reply, oh you know, just picked it up. Do you want to have a look? Well yeah you say. Yeah, I would. Still kind of not believing that this isn't anything but, a, but an elaborate hoax or something like that. We step into the shed, which is where I'm keeping this Bugatti Veyron, uh, and, 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 and four things strike you as you walk in, almost simultaneously, but distinctly enough, and, and, and in a really significant order. Number, number two and three of what strikes you 
are the shiny Bugatti badge on the front and the huge Bugatti spoiler on the back of the vehicle. But they really, they really do somewhat pale in comparison to number four and number one here. Number four, the fourth thing that strikes you is that there is something deeply, deeply wrong with me. And, and number one, of course, by, by, by a country mile, number one, the first thing that strikes you is that that is without any possibility of being wrong, a small ride-on lawnmower that you're looking at. Regardless of the badge, the spoiler, and what you now realize was a poor attempt at a metallic paint job in black, that is a lawnmower. It could be nothing but a lawnmower. Lawnmower wheels, lawnmower steering wheel, lawnmower blades, lawnmower little handle thing that raises and lowers the blades, lawnmower everything. And at the core of the machine, a piddly little 190cc lawnmower engine. And just for the sake of, of finishing off the hypothetical, because we're basically going to leave it there, let's just say that you back out of the shed and you run, because this, this, there's something wrong here. Yeah, a lawnmower and a Bugatti will never be the same thing. No matter how many Bugatti bits you strap to the lawnmower. Uh, well, today we, we're coming into Luke chapter 6, uh, verse 39 to 49. Uh, and, and if you want, please whip that open now, actually. It's the second half of the Sermon on the Plain. It's on page 50 of the Luke Scripture Journals that we use here at Gospel Church or on whichever page of your Bible that it is on. Uh, but, but this is the second half of the Sermon on the Plain. And to briefly summarize what we saw in the first half last week, uh, and feel free to go give that a watch if you want more detail, but uh, Jesus is teaching what it looks like to be a part of the New Covenant community that he came to establish in his blood. To put that another way, he's explaining what it looks like to be a part of his church. He's explaining what the life of the Christian looks like and the Christian community. And we saw last week that this presents in some pretty upside down looking ways. The Christian life is to look controversial, countercultural, and inexplicable apart from Jesus. And, and so we are to love enemies. And in case we were tempted to think of that in kind of an airy, love them from a distance sort of way, Jesus put some legs on that concept by saying that you're to, when you're struck, you're to offer them the other cheek. When you are robbed from, be generous. If they take your jacket, give them your jumper, to give a, a modern reading of that. Do to them not according to what they are doing to you, but according to what you would have them do to you, what you want them to do to you. Live out the generosity of Christ in your life. And, and the roots of that are that we live for eternal joys rather than temporary joys. And as we saw last week, it's, it, it comes as a picture of what Jesus does for us when he leaves the, the riches of heaven behind and becomes poor that we might become rich. Let me just say a little aside on those instructions that I, that I wish I could have put in last week. Uh, I ran across a thing. Uh, I don't usually give Facebook reflections in my sermons, I hope. Uh, but, but I saw a post on Facebook this week, heartbreakingly from, from a Christian brother, um, 
who's been heavily influenced by what I would see as an unhealthy side of America, um, who was saying that, uh, he, he shared a meme, it wasn't his words, but, uh, but the, the effect of it, which he later said he saw as satire, but it was, seemed like there was a grain of truth there, the effect of it was that it made perfect sense to shoot somebody who breaks into your house to rob you. Now, now put that alongside when you're robbed, don't rob back, or, or when they take your, your, your coat, give them your tunic. And we've got to be clear, even, even though we all do have blind spots, it's, it's important to note that, and I do, but, but that's not us Christians. That's not who Jesus is. And if you'd read and taken the words of Jesus seriously, we'd know that. We follow a saviour who dies for his enemies rather than destroy them. And, and Jesus could have done both. You know? But anyway, I digress. This week, we really step into the core of the teaching of the Sermon on the Plain. Into the core of how Christian living works. How Christian transformation works, actually, is a real focus this week. And not just in the personal, but the corporate. We're going to see just how the new community of God lives as a transformed people who are pouring transforming power into each other. And, and so I'm, I don't know about you, I'm excited, I'm excited about that. Uh, this has been a challenging message to prepare, but it's been a real fruitful one for me. I hope it is for you. What Jesus is going to give us is a look at the engine the thing that makes the whole human, the whole Christian life run. And so today we're going to walk through this in, in, in three parts. Uh, we're cutting it into three slabs of scripture. And we'll see that Jesus doesn't come to add the spoiler and the badge. Jesus comes to remake us from the engine out, to use the lawnmower analogy. And so you could say that today's passage answers the question, what does it take to be transformed and being transformed as a Christian? What does it take to be a transforming Christian? And that every Christian, that's what every Christian the Bible envisages being. And so this is important for all of us. So come with me now, we're going we're gonna to read this. We're in Luke 6 verse 39. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take out the log. Take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take out the speck that's in your brother's eye. We'll pause there. So we've just come out of those oft-misquoted words of Jesus, judge not lest ye be judged, to put it in the old, old language. 
And that wasn't a command not to hold to any moral judgments, any moral values, not to help others to see where they are failing and where they need help, where they are falling. It was a command really not to live judgmentally, not to lord it over others as one who is superior. And we can see that because now Jesus starts talking about how the people of his new community are to help each other with their sin. How we are to help with each other's brokenness, which obviously takes moral judgments. And the first answer to our question, what does it take to be a transforming Christian, might be a little bit surprising. Uh, It's often said, isn't it, that uh, it takes a village to raise a child. It's true, actually. But Jesus is saying here, it takes more than a village, not less than a village, to transform a Christian. He opens with a pair of parables. A blind man can't lead a blind man, and a disciple is not greater than his teacher. The point point that he's getting at here is that uh, to be transformed, to live in this countercultural way of the new community, we need someone who's doing it right, someone who's doing it properly, who can go ahead of us and lead us. We aren't meant to do this alone. We're meant to do this with others' help. That's important, Christians, how, because, because how often do we act like this is kind of my thing to deal with my sin, my thing to deal with my transformation, I have to do this on my own. How often do we try to become more like Jesus without the help of the community that Jesus puts around us to help us with the the sticks in our eyes, you know? It's not a thing, says Jesus. We need others in this. But then Jesus adds something. This This is pretty sobering, what he says here. Why do you see the speck in his eye and not the log in yours? He asks. How can you offer to help him when you can't even see? Such a a construction beam is sticking out of your head. He's using these as metaphors for our sin. Such a a tree is sticking out of your your face. Man, birds are nesting in the thing that is attached to your face. Big birds, eagles, you know, I'm getting too far into that. And you want to deal with someone else's sin? (laughs) What? Lumberjacks are looking longingly at your face. And you think that you're qualified to help with the transformation of your brother. And generally we can say from this that there's, there's a lesson here that we need to, to, to be twice as ready to look for our own sin as for others. We need to be more cautious of our own brokenness, our own sin, than we are of the sin of others. You see a lot of Christians who, who are very focused, and a lot of people in general, but a lot of Christians who are very focused on what other people are doing wrong. Uh, and we really, first and foremost, need to look to ourselves because, because we are most blind to our own. But if I can go a layer deeper, I think Jesus' words here are quite a bit more serious than even that. He looks out at a people who need to be led by someone who's doing it right, and he says, can the blind lead the blind? 
And then he gives an illustration of a world where everyone is blinded. He calls us to deal with the log in our own eye, but what he doesn't do is tell us exactly how that's done. And the point should be clear. Transformation takes a village, but it needs more than a village too. We need someone who can help us deal with our sin before we can help others with theirs. Before this community can operate, we need someone higher than us who can step in. And now Jesus continues on in our second part of this passage, and we're going we're gonna to hunker down most of our time in this bit. And, and, and he goes deeper on what it takes to be a transformed Christian. And if you ask me, this is, this is the climax of the sermon. This is, this is, this is some of the, the most striking teaching of Jesus. This is where we see the engine room, really, of the Christian life. Read it with me. We're in verse 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit, and nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. The evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Jesus turns to, interestingly, a horticultural analogy. And he says, good trees produce good fruit and bad trees produce bad fruit. This is obvious, right? This is clear and Jesus knows it. But then Jesus explains what he means. And this is the critical part. If a person is good, then their heart treasures what is good. And so they will do good. And if a person is evil, he or she will treasure what is evil and therefore will produce evil. More specifically, it's what, it's what the heart treasures that matters. Notice that here because it's really vital. It's really important. It's our hearts that matter. It's the treasure of our hearts that matter. The actions are secondary to that. This captures a theme that runs through this whole teaching of the Sermon on the Plain. It's the theme of treasure. Jesus has been building to this from the start. He's repeatedly talked about blessing. Blessed are you poor. Blessed are you who hunger. Blessed are you who mourn. Blessed are you when they hate you. He's talked about uh, gaining a benefit more than once and a credit when you love your enemy and lose everything. And the credit is because you will be sons and daughters of the Most High. And now he just displays the mechanism of it clearly. If, you're tre if you treasure what is good, then you will produce good. Now this, unfortunately, presents a problem. Because remember, Jesus just came out of saying that we are all the blind. We are all those with wood in our eyes. So it follows here that we are the bad trees that produce the bad fruit. 
the trees that produce the thorns. So on the one hand, Jesus is saying here, it takes all of your heart to be a transformed Christian. But actually, there's more than that. Understanding that without Jesus, we are the blind, we are the bad trees, we are those with the bad treasure. He's saying it takes more than your whole heart to be a transforming Christian. It takes a new heart with a new treasure. And for that, again, we need someone who can change us from a thorn bush to a fig tree. These are words to everyone. Without Jesus, you can never be the person you were created to be. You can never be good. You can never be free of sin or its judgment. But thank God Jesus is not just there warning us about the dangers of being a bad tree. How useless would that be to us? No, Jesus had come to transform hearts, to make us new. And when he went to that cross and bore all of the thorns of our sin and all of the weight of what we falsely treasured, and all of the condemnation that those things deserved, he won a new heart for his people. The message that God gave the prophet Jeremiah, it looked forward to this day. It's important for this. He wrote uh, in Jeremiah 31, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their heart. In Jeremiah 32, the next chapter, God promises, I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever. Now, that's not a, a cowering, terrified fear that he's describing there. That's talking about always seeing God for who he is, which will fill us with awe. Always esteeming him rightly. But this is the covenant that Jesus came to seal in his blood for everyone who would believe. A new heart. A heart that's able to treasure the good and refuse the evil. If you haven't received the life-transforming power of Jesus, if, if, if you don't trust in him, let me invite you to trust today. You will not regret it. Trust that his death brings you out of your sin, out of the thorns, and that his new life brings you into the good treasure, brings you into who you were made to be, into the joy of knowing your Savior. He graciously takes the things that you went after before, the treasures that led you toward death, if we're honest. And he replaces them with the treasure of knowing and living with God forever. Believe. But I said at the start of this message and last week's message as well, at least one of those times, Jesus is teaching about life in the new community here. And so this teaching isn't just 
for the person who has never believed in Jesus before. This, there is a powerful principle here for every Christian. If we have the one who can make us new, then we need to understand that the Christian life, this life of transformation into the shape of Jesus, is not first and foremost about actions. Actions are symptoms of what lies beneath. They are not the core of, of the person, of the problem or of the good. And so if you only ever address actions, you'll never see meaningful change in your life. Did you know that? When we see bad fruit in a person or in our own lives, and that's something we should be identifying and, and should be dealing with, evil actions are a serious symptom of a problem in the Christian's life. And we have been given to each other, Christians, given as a gift to each other to help each other deal with our sin and become more like Jesus. But when we see those things, our tendency can be to be a bit shallow in how we deal with that, can't it? He struggles with lust. He needs to stop lusting. Or more shallow again, stop looking at those things. She struggles with envy. She needs to be content with what she has. I struggle with anger or grumpiness. I should be more peaceful, more calm. Now, it's not wrong. It's not wrong that a person who lusts needs to stop lusting, but it skips the way that you get from point A to point B. It undermines the way that Jesus sees the Christian community working and transforming. The Pharisees actually worked this way, seeking to replace bad actions with good actions. And what they got was hypocrisy. <laughs> to use Jesus' analogy of trees, it's like nailing apples to a thorn bush. Sure, it might look good for a day, it might look pretty for a little while or even a little bit closer to being an apple tree, maybe two days, but eventually the apples will rot and fall off and the thorns will grow all the more. To use another picture here, it's like trying to make a lawnmower into a bugatti by attaching a spoiler and a badge. It's, it's pointless. You won't see meaningful change unless you see change at the level of the treasure of the heart. Unless we are driven to treasure Jesus more, more than the things of this world, we won't be transformed. No one will change. So when we see sin, when we see broken patterns in our, ourselves and in others, our first question should always be, what am I treasuring above Jesus here? And, and then when we uncover the treasure, we bring the light, we bring the light of the good treasure to bear on the bad, trusting that Jesus is making us new. This is how it works. 
Let me give you a, a, a practical example of what this means. And, and I'll, I'll make it one that, that can tend to be a struggle for me, actually, if I'm, if I'm really honest. Um, I really feel the pull of entertainment uh, to take up more of my time than it should. Um, let me give you a number here, because I think, I think that's, that's pretty nebulous what I've said so far. Uh, I want to I give you something specific. Um, and, and, and really, this is staggering. This should stagger us when we hear this. Okay? In 2017, there was an industry report done. It's a regularly done one. Um, and found that on average, Australians spend 109.2 hours in front of a television every month. Let that sink in. 109.2 hours every month. Television. You know, phones, tablets and computers, not included in that number, by the way. Just watching or playing games on the TV set. The, the vast majority actually still being free-to-wear television, by the way, in case you're thinking, ah, those gamers, they're making up the numbers. It's not. It's over three and a half hours every day on average for Australians. Or, to put it across the average lifespan of 82 and a half years that we live in Australia, it's 12.3 uh, years of continuous television consumption in your life. Less than a year, less than the amount of time that you'll spend at work in your life, on average. It's about 11 years less than the amount of, uh, 11 years more than the amount of time you'll spend socializing with friends in your life. The stat, the stat I don't have, but I strongly wish that I did, and I strongly suspect is that Christians fit pretty closely with the rest of society here a lot of the time. I don't know about you, the first time I, I read that, it really did just take my breath away in terror. Thinking of the fact that we would have to answer for 12 and a half years one day. But now let's look at that through the lens that Jesus has given us here. Because the easy answer would be, stop watching so much television. But that's not what Jesus gives us here. If a man or woman chronically sits down for three hours in front of the TV every night, uh, it would be very tempting to say, stop watching so much TV, do something better with your time. But Jesus would have us ask, what are the roots here? What are the roots in the heart that feed that fruit of addiction to television. And this could be different for different people. I think a lot of it comes down, though, to, to three things. Uh, three treasures that people are going after here. We're going we're to dig through this one. We're going to practice this here. Firstly, we're looking for rest. We want to sit down and rest in front of the TV. I've heard people say that. I think I've said that. We're looking for meaning. We enjoy and we go after that sense of being involved in something meaningful that a TV can give us. And finally, we're looking for escape. We're treasuring escape. We pursue a freedom from the drag and the struggle of our day-to-day -day lives. 
I wonder if that feels familiar to anyone watching this today. I suspect probably for a lot of us. Maybe I said that and you thought, wow, I do go over after those things, but, but not through TV. <laughs> well, great, you know, hear what I'm going to say here and bring it into your situation. I'm, I'm sure you can figure that out. But if this is a conversation you're having with a brother or sister, or if this is something you're dealing with in your own heart, this is where we bring in the big guns here. This is where we can ask two key questions and make one key action. And these are questions that we can apply to any fruit in our lives, any bad fruit that we find. First, does this action give me the treasure that I'm seeking? And if it does, does it satisfy me? The easy answer with TV is quite obviously no. But I'll explain. I'm not saying all TV is wrong, by the way. I'm not saying that throw, you should throw away your TV, although it would be better to do that than to waste 12 and a half years of your life on it, to be honest. Uh, but do you, do you find yourself rested after a long night of watching television? Honestly, do you lay down to sleep at night free from the worries of tomorrow and from the guilts of today and from the stresses of your life with peace in your heart and your mind? Do you? Well, actually, most TV is designed, designed, made to get your blood pumping, to get you hooked, to make you think about it so much that you'll come back next time. TV is actually designed to make you restless, did you know? Do you find meaning in television? There's our second treasure that we're going after, meaning. If the question of rest was easy, this one is just plain obvious, right? You see, TV is designed to give you a sense of meaning, but it can never give you the real thing. I've actually done a little bit of videography myself. Uh, it's it, not, not a lot, just a bit of amateur stuff, but production is designed to get you involved to get you interested, to make you feel like you're a part of what's happening, you're part of something bigger, that you want, to, you want resolution on it because you want to see it because you're part of this. That's why the quick cuts, that's why the dramatic music. This isn't just dramas and action shows that we're talking about, by the way. You know, watch an episode of House Rules or, or an episode of MasterChef, right? And notice how much effort, how much editing how much sound tracking, how much sound affecting and, and visual effects go into making it feel significant, important, meaningful that someone is baking a cake. Or updating a bathroom. You know, we, our kitchen got updated recently. It, it's great, I love it. It's, it's nice having a new kitchen, uh, don't get me wrong. But... Um, but I didn't hear the dramatic music <laughs> when, we were, when we were putting the cabinets together. And yet clearly with all of the promise, all of the feeling of meaning that TV offers, it delivers absolutely nothing of the sort. No one ever stood up at a funeral and said he lived a very meaningful life. He watched 13 years of television. He knew every line from The Simpsons. He was a very meaningful 
man, or he knew every line from Broadchurch or from the BBC adaptations of Jane Austen. I don't know what your thing is. He was such a meaningful person. He watched every game on TV for his team. He was really involved. No, of course he wasn't involved. He sat on a couch and did nothing and died. There's no meaning in that. That is a picture of a life wasted. And it just flows on from that, that our desire to escape isn't met either, quite obviously, because when the TV turns off, there we are, still there. Same life, same struggles, usually worse for having wasted the time on television. Once again, I'm not saying don't watch any TV, but when we're hacking through three hours of it a day, when 12 years of our life is being given to this thing, it's become more than a little side thing. So the first question was, what am I treasuring? When I produce this sinful action, what am I treasuring? When the bad fruit comes, what are the roots of that in my treasure, in my heart? And did that satisfy me? The second question we should ask is, how is the good treasure that I find in the promises of Scripture and in the person of Jesus better? And you will always find that it is better, rightly understood. And this is why we need both a devotion to the Bible and prayer and to the community of Christians around us, by the way, because we need the words of God to us that we find in the Bible, in our hearts and in our minds and in our day-to-day lives. We need to meditate on them so that we can be seeing the truth of the good treasure and applying it to the lies of the false treasure. We need the help of a community of people devoted to doing the same because it does take a village, although it also takes more than one. So let's answer this question in our, in, our, in our situation here. How is the good treasure better? How is Jesus better? TV promises rest, but fails to deliver. But here comes Jesus, and this is what Jesus says. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus gives us real rest, both now and in the future. The sovereign God who loves us so much that he would send his son to die to rescue us, to die in our place for us, who works for the good of his people in everything he tells us. He gives us true rest. I don't know about you, but peace with God is the greatest peace that I've ever experienced. There's no rest for your soul like the rest that we find when we live at peace with God. Delving into his word and living according to it and above all, knowing the grace that he has given that frees us from the worries of tomorrow and from the guilts of today. 
TV offers a false sense of meaning. But Jesus draws us into something truly meaningful. We can actually get to this from the Sermon on the Mount, you know. Jesus said that those who are believers in him, those who are uh, living the life that he has described, are sons and daughters of the Most High. We have been brought into the story of redemption that spans history, not just as passive viewers, but as active recipients of grace and as sovereignly guided missionaries who bring God's grace to a world around us that needs it. Who live in the countercultural upside down shape of the kingdom of God as a display of the glory of God to the world. In Jesus, our lives have true meaning. TV offers escape from our day to day struggles, but Jesus actually defeats our struggles with our struggles with sin he defeats at the cross he offers us true freedom from it right now as we are released from the penalty of sin and we are being transformed out of its power and we will one day in the future be completely freed escape from the results of sin, all of the brokenness and the pain and the sorrow and the mourning of this world. He will take us from that to joy. I said, I said two questions and a step or an action. The final step uh, in this walk is, is repentance. Really, this whole thing is repentance, but, but what we should come to in it is that we turn. That's what repentance means. It means turning from sin, turning from the bad treasure to the good. When we see how we have pursued false treasures and how much better the true treasure of knowing God and having peace with him and being freed by Jesus are, we turn to God and acknowledge it to him and ask him to help us in pursuing the good treasure, trusting that he is faithful to do so and he is faithful to do so. So do you see that this sermon of Jesus offers not just some distant moral teaching, it offers the inner workings of the life of faith. It offers the true and better way to live that God's people are called into living. And finally, this Sermon on the Plain, it ends on a note, uh, a profound note of serious warning, but also with a note of promise. Jesus says, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? I do pausing there. I think it's actually kind of a rhetorical question, by the by. Uh, he's just said that the per bad person out of the bad treasure of his heart produces bad. The answer is fairly clear. You don't do what Jesus is calling you to do because you're the bad tree. You're still in need of change, of being saved. But, but, 
Then Jesus gives these sobering words. Read this. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Yeah, I had a picture book of this parable when I was a kid. Um, and, and in it, uh, one guy builds a, a house on a good solid foundation, puts a lot of work into it, uh, and, and, and the other builds on the sand. And the, the guy who builds on the sand loses his house, but at the end, you kind of see him warming up in the, in the nice solid house of the guy who built his house on the rock uh, with his socks hanging up on the line inside. Well, there's, a, there's an old Christian song as well that you, that you might know. Um, you know, don't build your house on sandy land. You know, it might look kind of nice. You'll have to build it twice. You'll have to build your house once more. That's, that's cute, but that's actually not what's happening here. It's pretty clear from Jesus' drastic language. Almost every commentator agrees on this point. What he's talking about is the final judgment here. When he talks about the storm and the stream beating against the house. When the flood comes. The flood, I don't think I need to tell you, is a biblical image of judgment. The stream broke against it. Immediately it fell. Immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Apologize, my device has just died. <laughs> Jesus is giving us a sobering warning. Come to him before it's too late. Be saved out of sin. You need to be transformed to be the man who builds his house on the rock. You need Jesus to change you first. You need a new heart to be that man or you will be building your house on the sand. And so if you've never believed in Jesus, let me give you this encouragement today. Today's the day to believe. You don't know what tomorrow he has. Today's the day to turn and be saved. You don't know whether you have tomorrow. Can I also say that this, this is not just relevant to the person who's never stepped into a church before. You know, this is, this is relevant to the person who has sat in the church their entire life thinking, you know what? And I've heard people say this. I go to church every week. I'm good with God. Jesus says, 
the man who hears his words and does not do them has judgment coming for him. God's condemnation coming for him. See, this is why it's so important that we believe in Jesus and that we go on trusting him and seeking the good treasure because that's the life that faith brings. Hear what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that we are saved by good works. I'm saying that when Jesus saved you, he saved you for good works. The Bible says it again and again. Ephesians 2.10, for good works that he prepared for you beforehand. So if you've sat in church your entire life thinking, hearing this teaching and coming and singing these songs every Sunday is what gives me good standing before God, but you haven't changed in the last 40 years, or the last 10 years, or the last five years, you need to strongly consider whether you're building a house on the sand. And if you see that in yourself, you need to come to God and say, God, give me the good treasure. Give me a new heart. Would you pray with me for this? Jesus, I pray that you would work with transforming power. That by the power of your cross and your empty tomb, you would work to change us from the inside out. Lord, I pray for those who have not believed in you, that you would give new hearts. And Lord, I pray for a life of repentance for all of us, a life of turning, of transformation, of finding the good treasure to our great joy. Pray that you would be making us new every day just as you have done the work to give us a new heart. I pray that we would live in hope and that we would not give up, that we would be seeing the good fruit in our lives that comes from the good treasure of the gospel. And Jesus, that one day we would stand with you with great joy and be able to give all the glory to you for the change you have brought about in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for how you work in my life, for how patient you are with me in this transforming work, how patient you are with us. We pray that you would keep on and that you would keep us keeping on. In Jesus' name.